You are listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nickaruk, episode 66. Hello, Teacher Brain. Today, as I'm recording this episode, it is New Year's Eve day, the last day of 2021. Once again, it's been a few weeks since I was able to record an episode, so I hope that you have been having a good December. If you celebrate something at this time of year, I hope it was wonderful. My family celebrates Christmas, and so this year was much better than last year. Last year, I don't know if you recall or if you listened to the podcast back then, but we spent about four or five days over Christmas in the bathroom with my daughter having a bladder infection and was scared to leave the toilet. So she literally slept on the toilet and we had Christmas day in there. We brought the presents in, we zoomed with people. Um, We weren't gathering at that time. So it was really nice to see my parents in real life this year. And as always, it was a wonderful time. We had delicious food. We played in the snow. Of course, we did presents on Christmas, music, went to see the lights, and we always do a family puzzle. So this year, our puzzle was a painting of Santa with some puppies (laughs) because we got a puppy in October and my daughter loves animals. And so the, the puzzle had Santa with these cute little puppies Um, and it was a thousand piece puzzle, 1000 piece puzzle. Now, if you are an avid puzzler, what is your strategy or technique of choice? How do you tackle a puzzle, especially a large puzzle, like a thousand piece puzzle? What do you do first? So in our family, and again, this is how these things get passed on and perpetuated through the generations is by watching and participating and learning from the caring adults around us. So in my family, when I was young, I was taught or directed or observed or and all of the above to build the edges first. And so my dad would help us find all the edge pieces. So we looked for pieces with straight edges. And we built the border, the frame or the border or the edges around the puzzle first. And then we started building the inside. And so when we got this thousand piece puzzle, we opened the box, we dumped out all the pieces and spread them out all over the table and started picking out the edge pieces. And I think part of the theory was that those were easy pieces to identify amongst, you know, the 900 and whatever number other pieces because of that feature that they all had a straight edge. I'm sure there are other factors and reasons, you know, my parents are people who like organization and order. And so having that border kind of defines the area of the puzzle And in defining the area of the puzzle, you see how big it is for like spatial relation in in putting the other sections in. So it helps in many ways. And I think the main reason was that it was an easy entry into the puzzle in looking for the pieces with straight edges because you're focusing your search. And in theory, and to an adult, 
That seems like a logical plan, a logical strategy. You're narrowing down your focus to find something that's characteristic. And so it seems like that would be a good strategy. It would be easier to find those because you're looking for that specific thing. But what I've learned and what I wanted to share with you today, because I think it's important to know, to be aware of, especially when we're dealing with little brains in our lives, is something called selective attention. So selective attention is the process of focusing on a particular object in the environment for a certain period of time. It allows us to tune out unimportant details and focus on what matters to us at that time. So in our endeavor to locate the edge pieces for the puzzle, we were focused solely on pieces with straight edges and were able to sort of ignore or look past any other shaped piece. However, as we were doing this, Zoe kept pulling out pieces and saying like, oh, this is a piece of Santa's hat, or this is the cuff of Santa, or this is the spine of a book. Can you see how it goes over here on the picture? And she kept pulling out these pieces that belonged in other places. And we were like, oh yeah, you know, we kind of placated her and we we're like, oh yeah, as we kept hunting for the edge pieces. And we would say like things like, you know, yeah, that's great. We'll put that in when it comes to it. Right now we're looking for edge pieces. And she was able to find those two while she continued to locate these other pieces. Because for the four of us, it was like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but it's kind of like those pieces weren't even there or like we just weren't seeing the details on them because we were so honed in on these edge pieces. We had tuned out all the other pieces and the details on them. It's kind of like if you, uh, I did an, an episode, episode 38 on audio illusions and I had some background noise. It's kind of like like when you're in this busy, if you remember being in a busy place um, where there are voices and music maybe and background noises and someone says your name and you immediately hear that and tune out everything else. It's the same reason why we it's, it's that the reticular activating system at work. So there, we have billions of bits of information, sorry, millions of bits of information coming at us all the time, and we can't possibly absorb all of it. We, we just can't. And so our brain focuses in on what it thinks is important and it knows what is important based on what we have told it with our subconscious thoughts and repeated thoughts and feelings and messages over and over throughout our lives and that form our beliefs. So the only thing that gets into our brain is the things that align with what we already believe. And that's the work of your reticular activating system because it's, it sees those things. It's like, oh, okay, that's safe because that's already, I, there's a connection to it in my brain already. It's kind of like the bouncer to your brain and it lets things in that fit in a certain criteria. So that's what's happening. Your brain is filtering out all of these other details of these, uh, our brains were filtering out all the details of the other pieces and we were really focused on the edge pieces. Well, as it turns out, children's brains 
are, do not operate in the same way. And so, and you may experience this in your life already. If you have little brains around you that you have to say things repeatedly, you're like, just focus on this thing. And they're noticing all these other things. Well, it actually turns out that kids aren't very adept at selective attention. They have more of a distributed attention instead of a selective attention. So they have less of an ability to ignore all the other things that we may think are unimportant or the things that you're not focusing on at that time. They remember a whole bunch of information. So you may experience this like when your kids, if you watch a a movie or you see, or, or you reading them a story or something and they look at the picture and they'll tell you like, Oh, but this was blue or that was a, this, or there was a guy in the background and you're like, what, what are you talking about? And then you go and check the picture and there it is. It's because their brains are picking up so much more than ours do. There have been many studies done about this, but here's one for an example, two different studies that were done with the same group. So there were a, there was a group of 35 adults and 34 children who were about four, or five, four and five years old. And they were shown a computer screen with two shapes. One of the shapes was red and the other was green. And the participants were told to pay attention to a shape of a particular color. So say the red shape. And then the shapes disappeared from the screen. And then another screen with shapes came up. And the participants had to report whether the shapes in the new screen were the same as in the previous screen. So in some cases, the shapes were exactly the same. In other cases, the target shape, so the one that they were supposed to focus on, was different. But there were also instances where the non-target shapes changed. So the other shapes around them changed, even though it was not the one that the participants were told to notice. So... Adults performed slightly better than children in noticing when the target shape changed. They were able to notice it 94% of the time for the one that they were told to focus on as compared to children who were able to do it 86% of the time. But the kids were much better than the adults at noticing when the non-target shapes changed. So they were noticing the things in the background or in the periphery Children noticed those changes 77% of the time compared to 63% with the adults. So what they found is that children are paying attention to the shapes that they weren't required to. So kids are really curious, right? We know this. They're so curious and they tend to explore everything, which means that their attention is spread out even when they're asked to focus on something which I thought this is really helpful for me to know. So um, when we're laying expectations on these kids, knowing this is really important in my view and just helped enlighten me a little bit and give me more compassion for when we have to ask repeatedly about something, you know, there or when we say like, can you just focus on this one thing? No, they actually can't. And so let's give them some space and compassion. Anyways, and it makes me wonder, what are we doing to them? Like, is having selective attention actually something we want? And yes. And how can we also foster that distributed attention? Because for me, that seems like something 
that would be a coveted skill, right? If you want to be a detective, you need to be noticing all these things. And it is something that I consciously remember honing the distributed attention because I remember I had a friend come over one day. I was around nine years old, eight or nine, and my friend came over and she was reenacting the movements that the the actors made in Top Gun at the opening scene where where the flights are leaving the runway and the guys are kind of like spider crawling with the light sticks and stuff. And my mom said, oh, you're really good at noticing all of these details. Like the, And I thought, well, I want that validation. I want my mom to think that I'm good at that too. So I started paying attention to all the things in um, a scene or in a picture. And I I, I feel like this helps me with one of my superpowers, I believe, is being able to hold space for multiple perspectives at a time and having empathy for, I hate saying both sides, but all points of view at once and being able to understand where people are coming from. And so I think that has really helped me. So anyway, as we are finding these edge pieces for our puzzle border, Zoe is finding all these, the other pieces and already making connections where they go. And this helped me to understand why. And oh my goodness, isn't that so cool that she can do that. Then with this experiment, they did a second experiment with the same participants. And in this case, they were shown drawings of artificial creatures with several different features, right? So there was maybe an X on their body or an O And then they might have had a lightning bolt on the end of their tail or a fluffy ball or something like that. So the participants were asked to find one feature, like an X, for example, on the body amongst the other ones that had O's. They weren't told anything about the other features at all. So their attention was attracted to the X or the O, but not to the other features. So both the kids and the adults found the X fairly well. The adults were somewhat more accurate than the children. But when those features appeared on the creatures in later screens, there was a big difference in what participants remembered. So for features they were asked to attend to, like an X or an O, the adults and the children were um, almost identical in remembering those features, but the children were substantially more accurate than the adults at remembering features that they were not asked to attend to, such as like the creature's tail or the shape of something. So the kids were able to do it 72% of the time and the adults only 59%. So the point is that children don't focus their attention as well as adults, even if you ask them to right? They end up noticing and remembering more. So in this case, it was four to five-year-olds. They tended to pay attention to all the information that was presented to them, even when they were told to focus on one particular thing. That helped the children notice the things that the adults didn't catch because of our, the grown-ups, selective attention. So it's what enables us to sit in like a two hour meeting and maintain long conversations and ignore distractions. And it's maybe part of what prevents kids from sitting for 10 minutes on the carpet for a whole class lesson, for example. But these young children's use of distributed attention 
allows them to learn more in new and unfamiliar settings by taking in a lot of information. So this to me has like, it's interesting. It gave me compassion and empathy and a, a deeper understanding. And I wonder how it could inform like my classroom setup and my when we say like, you know, sensory overload, if we have too many things on the walls for kids, like they're taking it all in. So I wonder what other implications this has for those little brains. So yes, selective attention is definitely useful when we want to find edge pieces on a puzzle, when we want to, you know, find something in a, in a messy room, when we want to, when we're searching for certain information or we're scanning things for a certain name and things like that, when we're doing research, all that kind of stuff. Selective attention is definitely useful. What can happen on the flip side is we might bump into its sister, as I mentioned before, which is inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness can cause us to ignore or or miss something that's right in front of us, even if it's obvious, because our brain is focused on something else. It's like sighted blindness, right? Like, so you can see, but you can't see something that's right there because we're not, we're focused on something else. It's like when you can't find your glasses or your keys or your phone and someone's like, it's right there. And you're like, where? Right there in front of you. Or you open the fridge and you're looking for the salad dressing and it's like literally in front of your face and you just can't see it. That's inattentional blindness. A really interesting example of this is a a video. And you may have seen this before. It's called the monkey business illusion. If if you Google or YouTube, the monkey business illusion, you'll, you'll see it and you can watch it and watch it with your kids too, and see if there's a difference. But it's, it's one of the best known experiments that demonstrates this phenomenon. And it was done by Christopher Shabris or Shabri, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, and uh, Daniel Simons, both PhDs. And in this experiment, the researchers asked participants or observers to watch this video of people tossing a basketball. And the observers were told to count the number of passes that the, uh, the team with the white shirts made. And then afterward, they were asked if they had noticed anything unusual while watching the video. And so across the test, about 50% of the participants uh, reported seeing nothing out of the ordinary. But in reality, something actually does happen in the video. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but I'm already, I feel like I'm already giving you too much information Um, about it. There's another one I'll link in the show notes as well that you can watch um, afterward. But anyways, 50% of people completely missed it. And then once you know that it's there, it's like, how on earth did I miss that? But that's this inattentional blindness at work, right? It might seem like impossible that people would miss it, but because your attention is focused somewhere else, The thing that happens is essentially invisible to you. So why does this happen? We've already talked a little bit about your reticular activating system, and I've mentioned this 
many, many, many times in the podcast, our brains let in only the stuff that aligns with what we already believe. It's like the filtration system of our brain because there's so much. We can't possibly focus on every tiny detail in the world around us. So we focus on the things that are most important to us and uh, align with our, a popular word we use in teaching is schema. So things that are already aligned with our schema get into our brain. So in terms of this, this video, this experiment with the basketball, one of the reasons why people so often miss this odd thing that happens is because it's so outside of our schema or our idea of what's in basketball itself that it doesn't, it doesn't compute. It doesn't fit in. So therefore we don't see it. So interesting. Now, that being said, this also applies, we take this out into the real world, right? Sometimes we fail to notice things right in front of our face. We get so focused on our belief, our opinion, the information that we know to be quote unquote true, and we are unable to see, notice, pick up other perspectives, other information, other evidence that's around us. Even if we're pretty good at generally noticing information that's relevant to us, right? So for example, even though you think you're paying attention to the road, you fail to notice that car swerve in front of you. Or maybe if you ever watched Downton Abbey, maybe you're watching it and whoops, there's like a plastic water bottle on the mantle in one of the scenes, but our brains don't pick that up, right? Because those things don't compute. It's also a little bit of cognitive dissonance playing in, but that's a different episode. Sometimes we miss red lights. Sometimes we're so focused on finding, you know, a certain puzzle piece (laughs) that we miss a whole section of the other puzzle that we could have completed in two minutes. But what this really made me think of, especially reflecting back on this year and the past two years, really, is how this impacts our ability to see and understand and hold space for opinions, beliefs, experience, and information that is different from ours. When we become selectively attentive to only what is going on in our brains and our lives and our experience, we can inattentionally and unintentionally disregard or intentionally disregard anything else. And I feel like a lot could be solved in general in a lot of different issues and topics and problems if we opened up our attention like the kids do and had more of a distributed attention approach and were able to take in and hold space for all the perspectives, all of the information, and not make it mean something about us or them when somebody else's information or opinions or beliefs or experiences do not align with ours. I just feel like this whole past two years 
Huh, I've I've kind of dropped into a little bit of sadness about the a missed opportunity for us to come together and really no matter what in our differences just really be and support and love. I feel like we've gotten selectively attentive about people and we take in certain information about them and we disregard everything else. It's that inattentional blindness that we write someone off based on one thing about them or something they said or something they did. And we fail to see the other great things that we used to see maybe about them. You know, I watch movies all the time where and shows and read stories where someone that everybody loves does something and suddenly everybody turns on them. And I used to think like, that's not real life. Not everybody would turn on them. Certainly somebody would still be on their side. And yet I see it so many times in real life and it's sad. And so I guess that is my wish for 2022 and beyond is that we can remember to take in all the information about somebody and all the things and have more compassion for them as humans, see them as whole humans, not just one edge piece. And ourselves too. We do this to ourselves all the time too. We get so focused on, you know, someone will congratulate us or give us a compliment and we'll be like, yeah, but I didn't do that. And we're so hard on ourselves because of one thing, one little piece of our being, our character, our personality, our whatever it is. We get so hyper-focused on this one thing. We can't even see the so many wonderful things about ourselves either. So I would love it if we could all work on this puzzle together, whether or not we start with the edge pieces, the middle pieces, whether we build it by color, by shape, no matter our approach, we build it together. That is my wish. You have been listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nikarak. Thank you so much for joining me today. Happy New Year. I hope that whatever you do today to celebrate, if that's up your alley, or if you're listening to this afterwards, whatever you did, I hope it was, it brought you joy. And I hope that this new year is a new year for you, for me, for us, for the world. I love you. Bye for now.